My name is Herb Montgomery, and I'm the director of Renewed Heart Ministries. We are a not-for-profit group that is passionate about rediscovering, following, and helping others rediscover the teachings and sayings of the historical Jesus of Nazareth. We believe that these teachings have an intrinsic value in informing the work of nonviolently confronting, liberating, and transforming our world into a safe, more just, more compassionate home for us all. If you would like to support the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, I'll tell you how you can do so at the end of this podcast. For now, we simply want to thank you for listening. This is Herb Montgomery from Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 186 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. This week, I'm actually in Silver Spring, Maryland. We're recording from a hotel room. So again, it's going to sound just a little different, but uh, we'll be home to record uh, one of these podcast episodes one week, I hope, coming up uh, soon. Uh, the title this week is The Beatitude for the Eyes That See, or as I'm calling it, God in the Othered. Our feature text is Sayings Gospel Q 10, 23 through 24. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you, many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but never saw it, and to hear what you hear, but never heard it. Our companion text are Matthew 10, uh, sorry, Matthew 13, 10 through 17. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Applied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has uh, has will be given more, and they will be they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. That is why I speak to them in parables, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not understand or hear. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed with their they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but do not hear it. Luke 10, 21 through 22, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to be by my Father. No one knows who the Father is except the Father, uh, who the Son is except for the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Um, this week, I'm actually, the reason I'm in Silver Spring, Maryland, is I'm at a conference uh, on uh, nonviolence and the atonement. I'll be speaking on victims of violent atonement and uh, the hope for change on Sunday morning. Uh, but here on Friday night, I, I gave a response to one of the talks this evening. The, the keynote speaker for this event is Dr. Gregory Boyd, and uh, I'm hoping to share a little bit of uh, not only a critique of violent atonement theories, but even uh, some critiques, some womenist, feminist, uh, black liberation theologian, uh, queer theologian, some of their critiques of even nonviolent uh, 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 atonement theories, nonviolent atonement theories that solve it for people in positions of privilege, but theories that don't necessarily improve the lives of those who are being exploited 
or oppressed. In our desire to abandon violent atonement theories, we have to push on to not just nonviolent ones, but nonviolent ones that are actually redemptive and uh, uh, salvific. So this week's saying actually is pretty relative to that. This week's saying is, is given in two different contexts in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. For Luke, this is the third uh, portion of a much larger saying that we've been considering over the last two weeks. In the community that Jesus uh, sent out, it returns and shares their testimonies of success, and, and Jesus says these things. But, uh, uh, but in Matthew, the context is different. Part of Jesus' response uh, is actually to why he, when he was questioned on why he taught uh, using parables. So let's take a look at both. Let's begin with, with Matthew. Matthew's setting, uh, Matthew, which many scholars today believe was written to a predominantly Jewish Jesus-following audience, it uh, seems to be trying to do two things. Number one, to affirm and possibly explain Jesus's teachings to that audience in the face of their larger community's rejection, the, the, the rejection of Jesus by their larger community. And then number two, uh, to affirm that Jesus and his teachings and the path his followers walked because of those teachings uh, were all rooted in the, the long-held hope that, that injustice, oppression, and violence against Israel would uh, be put right. And, and Jesus fulfilled that uh, hope. They, they were, the, the, this saying was to affirm the belief that Jesus fulfilled that hope. In the early second century, uh, Irenaeus tells us that those in the Jesus community who were Jewish Jesus followers, the Ebionites, they exclusively used Matthew's gospel. And that's from Against Heresies, book three, chapter 11, paragraph seven. And, and these Jewish Jesus followers holding on to the great Hebrew hope of survival and liberation and restoration, they, they would have been deeply encouraged to hear that Jesus and his teachings were what their ancestors had been uh, looking forward to. Luke's setting, again, is a little different. Luke, on the other hand, is, is believed to have been written with a predominantly Gentile Jesus-following audience, and Luke preserves the, the Q context of A, God's wisdom uh, given to the most vulnerable, as we've looked at over the past uh, few weeks, as opposed to those in control of the status quo, and then uh, B, Jesus' testimony that he, he received this wisdom by direct revelation and was choosing to share it, and then C, our saying this week for, for Jesus' disciples who were encountering a, a God-given wisdom from the excluded and the marginalized that not many kings and prophets were privileged to know, and, and through following Jesus, they entered into, into deeper compassion and a posture of humble uh, listening. And this setting from Luke is very important. The kings would have been in positions of power within exploitative systems, and the prophets uh, those in the school of the prophets would have spoken on behalf of the exploited, but not necessarily as part of the uh, exploited community. Exceptions to this would have been prophets like Amos, who is a, a sheep herder and a farmer. But what, what we're encountering this week is a wisdom seen by children, the most vulnerable among us. And it's a wisdom directly related to their experience from living and, and being marginalized in our world. And this is the wisdom and, and perspective that the disciples were encountering. And it's, it's, a, it's as if Luke, uh, or Luke's Jesus rather, leans over to his followers and whispers, you're blessed, you are blessed. The, the wisdom that you're seeing this wisdom gained through listening to the experiences and voices of those at the lowest sectors of our society is wisdom that those in other sectors of society are just not able to see. And you can cross-reference that with Matthew 18, too. And today, I run into this dynamic more often than I'd like, actually. Recently, after I gave a presentation on the teachings of Jesus, especially on nonviolence, I was struck once again by, by the resistant response 
of some in my audience. And I'd been careful to explain that Jesus's teachings on nonviolence were specifically targeted at the lowest classes of his society, the poor and the disinherited, as wisdom uh, regarding survival and nonviolent resistance. And I pointed out that it was, it was through this nonviolent uh, resistance that uh, Jesus taught them that they would be liberated and that their enemies would be transformed. And, and afterward, a couple audience members came up to me and asked, but what do you do if someone's breaking into your home? And, and I wish I had a dime for every time that was asked, but what I want you to notice is that this is it's what this question actually reveals. My audience members were encountering Jesus' teachings on nonviolence, not from the position of the lowest class, but from, from the middle classes and, and maybe even upper class. Jesus' message of nonviolence would have instead addressed those who would be breaking into the homes as a method of survival, not the ones whose homes were being broken into. And, and to the poor, Jesus taught nonviolent forms of resistance, ways for them to, to reclaim their humanity. And to those uh, whose homes were being broken into, uh, Jesus would have shared a very different message. He would have told his demographic to, to take our extra and, 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 and the stuff of which luxury is made and, and, and put the needs of our fellow human siblings above our own comfort and share. Uh, he would have told us uh, to take our superfluous or our hoarded wealth and, and to share it with the poor. And just as nonviolence uh, might not have been received well by those who felt violent means were their only means of survival, I'm sure Jesus' teachings about mutual aid and resource sharing and voluntary wealth redistribution, uh, those teachings were also met with, with resistance from the middle and upper class. Middle to upper class church members, I, I, the ones that I recently spoke to, spent the first half of the week uh, together struggling just to get their heads around the Jesus that they were encountering in Matthew and Luke. And this Jesus really didn't sound the way they were used to thinking about him. The Jesus story's themes of, of survival and liberation from the human suffering caused by systems of injustice, th th those things simply don't mean as much to those uh, who are whose position in society protects them from that suffering. And those in, in a different societal position prefer themes that focus on personal forgiveness, God's love for them, and, and the promise of post-mortem bliss or the assurance of post-mortem bliss. And, and I wonder, and I, this is borderline accusation, but I wonder if, if those in those sectors of society are so guilt-ridden that when they hear the Jesus story, all they can hear is forgiveness and, and non-condemnation or, or release from their guilt. It's what they bring to it, and therefore that's what they take away. And, and the Jesus stories themes of survival, they mean very little to, to those who aren't struggling to survive. Now, I've been preparing a talk uh, for this weekend on nonviolence and what Christian theologians call the atonement. And one of the points I'll be making is the importance of, of listening to those who have been victimized by various atonement theories. And to illustrate what I'm, I'm going to be saying, uh, let me share with you just a little bit the experience of Garth Kazumu Baker Fletcher. And I mentioned him last week, uh, but this is from his book, uh, he and Karen wrote the book. Karen Baker Fletcher wrote, together wrote the book, My Sister, My Brother, Woman, is an Excess God Talk. And uh, this, is, this is from that book. Whenever I preached this passage, God is Love, as a pastor, I could always expect to gain at least one new convert. There's something inviting about such love, a love uh, which has been poured out toward us human beings first by God. For no earthly rhyme or reason, the God of the universe has loved us first sending an only son to die for us and become the atoning sacrifice for our sins, 1 John 4.10. And through the death and resurrection of God's Son, we might die to our sins and live in the reassurance of God's mighty love. Such is the standard atonement love doctrine, 
preached weekly in Christian churches throughout the world. Abiding in this sacrificial love of God as expressed through the death and resurrection of his son is posited as the consummate experience and expression of a godly life. The strengths of this position are time-honored, and one conforms one's life to a model of love as atoning sacrifice, then, then the complication of prioritizing, uh, the, complica- the, the complications of prioritizing are greatly simplified. Life becomes one's individual sense of a calling by God. Life unfolds as a conflictual and strenuous and yet not unimaginable series of, of testings and temptations, victories and occasional failures to do God's will. The important norm for such a life is obedience to the will of God and the God, and the God adored and followed is regularly consulted for guidance. God's love is in such a view as love as atoning sacrifice enables one to become Christ-like because of one's willingness to die to self and rise in Christ. There's a galvanizing power in believing that even if one dies for a particular cause, all things will, uh, will be all right because it's a redeeming and atoning sacrifice, a sacrifice of love freely given. Such a view of love conflates sacrificial acts, all such acts with God's Christ-like love, The conflationary energy of such enables one to be Christ in situations of conflict, trial, and oppression, and even abuse. It is precisely in the confectionary energies of love as atoning sacrifice that its greatest danger and weaknesses reside. And Cosimo goes on to demonstrate the detriment that this gospel of love as atoning sacrifice has brought to women in domestically violent situations who who are desiring to be simply Christ-like. And he then states, uh, uh, being like Christ or imitating Christ by sacrificing oneself for another is dangerous. And he contrasts the above uh, private, individual, personal way of of seeing Jesus then with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s reformulation of God's love. King saw God's love in in the Jesus narrative as including not simply his death, but also the elements of justice and social power and hope and sacrifice and a vision of, of the telos of, of, of community that has great potential for a healthier view of God's love. Uh, but all of this drives home the point. This reformulation is the result of what the vulnerable see. Those in positions of privilege and power in our society are so indoctrinated and socialized that they don't even see what it is that's what's so wrong and dangerous about uh, the traditional description of love as atoning sacrifice, and not being able to see it uh, yet is a, a strong indication of of one's need to begin looking at the Jesus story from the perspective of those to whom our our society's present structure is doing the greatest harm. And as we stated last week, this means looking for God in those that we in our society today have othered. When you do finally see it. It will be as if Jesus himself is leaning over to you, saying as to you as he did to his disciples long ago, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you, many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but never saw it, and to hear what you hear, but never heard it. A heart group application this week, Matthew seems to describe what the disciple sees as Jesus himself. Luke seems to define it as, as wisdom uh, we gain from the most vulnerable. And both Matthew and Luke can be right. So let's, let's take some time this week 
to put what Jesus taught into practice by, by listening to those who are not like ourselves. And, and let's look for God in the others. July's uh, book recommendation or book for Renewed Heart Ministries annual reading course, it was J. Denny Weaver's uh, volume, Nonviolent Atonement. And beginning on page 129 and then on through page 217, Weaver dialogues with various theologies that arise out of the experiences of, of black liberation, feminism, and womanism. And so number one this week, I'd like you to go back, pick up, pick one of those chapters in this volume that, that again, we recommended the book back in July. Pick up one of the chapters, um, either through Weaver's book or in the books that, that Weaver refers to, and many of those are available in, from Amazon in a digital format, like a, a Kindle. And, and just begin listening to, to various perspectives of Jesus from experiences that are unlike your own. And then number two, over the next few weeks, discuss with your heart group what, what you're discovering and how your own beliefs are being challenged and affirmed and, and both, both affirmed and challenged, and, uh, and share how you've been encouraged and, and also discuss how some of your own cherished beliefs have not uh, borne positive fruit for, for people with experiences that are unlike yours. And then uh, number three, discuss with your heart group how each of you can move toward uh, healthier ways of interpreting and understanding uh, the Jesus story in ways that, that do not produce uh, victims, but that bring healing for the entire human family. Lean into those changes and, and choose to see the, the Jesus story through new lenses and allow those changes to impact the, the decisions you make in your daily lives too. And learning how to listen for God and the othered is a life-changing experience for, for so many who have the courage and the openness to engage in the process. It can be deeply challenging, but it can, it can be deeply confronting, um, but it's also deeply affirming all together, all at once. So I'm wishing you all the best this week. Thank you for joining us this week, and, and thank you for your decision to live in love until the only world that remains is a world where only love reigns. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Thank you once again for listening. Everything we do here at Renewed Heart Ministries, even our, our many educational events that we do in various venues, is for free. If you'd like to support our work, you can make a one-time gift or become one of our monthly contributors by going to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and clicking on the Donate tab on the top right. Or you can mail your contribution to Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. And make sure you also sign up for our free resources and remember Remember, every little bit helps. And, and as always, anything that we receive over and above our annual budget, we happily give away to other not-for-profits who are, are making both systemic and personal differences and significant differences in the lives of those who are not presently benefited by the status quo. And to those of you who are already supporting the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, thank you so much. Your generous support makes it possible for us to exist and to continue being a presence for positive change in our world. So with all of our hearts, thank you. Together, we are making a difference till the only world that remains is a world where only love reigns.